uh, one of 13 books we know for sure written by the Apostle Paul, who was the missionary extraordinaire. I would say my own personal thinking, perhaps the greatest missionary to ever live was the Apostle Paul, and what a a man of God, used by God for many purposes. And God this morning, as we talked about in Sunday school, as we heard, uh, broke him to the point where it was all God and nothing of him, that I may may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, he wrote in Philippians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13 to begin with. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as those which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus... For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, the rapture, together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Those words never get old. I've used them multiple times for multiple services, and they never, I never tire of hearing the promise of what God has in store for us. May the Lord have his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pause for a moment. Heavenly Father, I am nothing, and you are everything. Forgive me of sin, empty me of self, and please, I pray, fill me with your spirit the next few moments. May I be hidden behind uh, the words of this text. Thank you for our visitors today. May they be felt to be welcome, and may they feel welcomed, and may we welcome them, and we just thank you for them worshiping with us today. Lord, we want everyone to know, listening via even live stream now or somewhere down the road on CD or in the auditorium, that we serve and worship the Lord Christ, the one true risen Savior. And that is whom I want to exalt today. So Lord, I want to do that. Please help me to do so. Fill me with your spirit and ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Third message in our series, the series is called God's Prophetic Schedule. It will be quite uh, an adventurous, long-term, probably overall. We'll take breaks, especially for Christmas, etc. But the third message is called Ignorance is Not Always Bliss. Ignorance is not always bliss, as some would say. The saying goes, the adage goes, well, ignorance is bliss. Well, not always. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Last couple of times we talked about the resuming of Israel as a nation. 1948 was a very big year. When 1948 they were able to reassemble as a nation. There were only 600,000 Jews living in Israel in 1948. Now there are over 7 million Jews living in the land of Israel. Matter of fact, I found out just yesterday, I was driving through Columbus, and there's a large Jewish neighborhood right off Route 33, and there's over 148,000 Jews in Ohio. There are over 3 million Jews in the Northeast Corridor, down from Boston all the way down to Washington, D.C., over 3 million Jews. And so, do you think about this now? I just thought, I had an epiphany, probably you've already thought about it ahead of me, is if they're going to destroy all the Jews, where do they have to come to get to them? Just think with me now. That's why we are so important that we work with and support. I'm not saying the Jewish people do everything perfect. I'm not saying everything they do now is just right. But I can tell you, we saw in the last couple of messages, either on Israel's side and you're blessed, or you're not on Israel's side and you're not blessed. It is as simple as that. Again, I'm not condoning. I don't condone everything that our own country does. So I'm not condoning them. 
So there we are. That was the last two messages in a very, very brief nutshell, if you would. There is going to be, in our text here, a time when Jesus comes back for his church. The church of Thessalonica had had Paul there for just three weeks. So in three weeks' time, he had covered a lot of ground. I could, can you imagine listening to the Apostle Paul every Sunday? You would come to, and listen to him preach. He'd be like, now pack your lunch. I mean, people would fall asleep. I mean, of all things, people fall asleep during his sermons. And one guy actually fell out the window and broke his neck. And so I know we don't have an apostle to raise you back up, so I'm not going to preach quite that long. Not quite that long. But we find that there, the Christ is going to come back. Now, if you think for just a moment that in his first coming, the first advent, he came. He was, lived in Mary's womb for, for the nine months, was born, lived a sinless life. About 33 and a half years, he was vilified, he was abused, he was crucified, he was buried, he rose again the third day on earth for 40 more days, went back to heaven where he is now. All of that is part of his first coming. First coming, could, any of those could be part of his first coming. So his second coming is not one singular event either. Now the first thing, first part of the second coming of Christ that is going to be what you call the rapture of the church. I know you're not going to find it in the King James translation, but it's the word caught up. It's harpazo. The Latin Vulgate has rapturo, something similar to that. So that's where we get our word rapture. It just simply means a catching away. Philip was caught away there after he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's, that's the, Paul was caught up into the third heaven. That's the idea of harpazo, the Greek word. And so that's the rapture, but there is also going to be the revelation. You say, but pastor, there's a lot of things that have got to happen before, as you're turning to Matthew 24, a lot of things have got to happen before Jesus comes back. Well, things have to happen before he comes back to rule and to reign. That is true. Matthew 24, please. Matthew 24. If you would there, please. He says he's going to go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also in my mind's eye. The only way that works is if we're taken out of here and we go to be with him. When he comes back to rule and to reign in Revelation 19, every eye is going to see him. He's going to come back and he's going to come all the way to the earth. There's going to be the battle of Armageddon. Two se- this is all part of his second coming, but the first part is he calls us out. We've been saved from the wrath to come in 1 Thessalonians. He, he's going to call out his church. In Revelation, you do not see the church after about chapter 4, verse 1, until again, chapter 19. So, the re- tribulation time, I'm sorry, tribulation time, that's right, tribulation time is for the Jewish people. And it's for the world to receive the anger and indignation of God. They've rejected God. It's not going to turn out well. Simply read the book of Revelation. You will see it's going to be a difficult time. But I'm telling you the good news. I told Matt yesterday, I said, the most important thing is eternity. Where are you going to spend eternity? I said, read, start when you get your Bible, read John and then 1 John. That will help you to understand who Jesus, he was God. And I, 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 he said, well, pastor, why didn't you share the complete God? I got as far as I could before he allowed me to speak. And that's about as far as we're going to go at that point in time. But I can pray for him. That when he gets, the Bible is the key. You read the Bible. That's the power of God's word that changes lives. You just heard it. I love the story last week of the guy who was a tremendous trivial pursuit champion. 
And then they did, they had Bible trivial pursuit, and he was losing. So I've got to learn the Bible. I'm telling you, once you start reading the Bible and you read it with and don't come with a presupposed ideology, it's clear. Jesus was God. He died for you. He died for me. It's clear. Now, there's going to be a time. Now, you say, there's going to be some signs before he comes back all the way to earth. Matthew 24, verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. You, what Christians, even Bible understanding somewhat Christians will take, they will take the Olivet Discourse. Now, why is it called the Olivet Discourse? It was preached from the Mount of Olives. Very good. Be ready for Wednesday night. That might be a question in the quiz Wednesday night. From the Mount of Olives. So here we have, this is not talking about the rapture of the church. This is talking about leading up to his revelation when he comes all the way back. So don't take the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, and apply that to his coming again. For the church, why do we say all that? Because in Thessalonica, they were looking for him already. Matter of fact, some had quit their jobs. Now that sounds kind of I like that idea. Quit their jobs. And they could go fishing every day or whatever, play golf every day or whatever you want to do or sleep in every day. I don't know whatever you want to do. What would you do if you had nothing else to do with your life? I trust you would spend more time reading the Bible than you do now. The same. Anyway, there we are. And they quit their jobs. They said, no, if, you, if you're not going to work, you're not eating. You're not going to work, you're not going to eat. That's what he told them. So don't quit your jobs. Be ready. It was the Millerites in the 1800s that quit their jobs and put on the white gowns. And, and they knew the day Christ would come back and climb the trees and build him a, a throne because they, were, they knew that the Lord was coming back. We're following our leader. He didn't come back. Had to find, I guess he had to go job hunting again. But we are to be actively serving the Lord until he takes us home. But don't Say, all these things have got to happen in, in Matthew 24 and 25 before the Lord comes back for his church, for the bride. It, they don't have to happen before the Lord comes back. It's, not, it's a non-prophetical event. That being said, when you see Israel come and become a nation again, when you see from 600,000 in 48 to over 7 million in 2023, when you see that, them coming back to the land Lift up your heads. Our redemption is a whole lot closer, and it may even be nigh. We don't know, but we're to be... Israel may be scattered again. I don't know. But I know that Israel needs to be in the land. Why? Look at what it says in our text. If you would there, please. We're anticipating. This is the, the tribulation time. Mm -hmm. 16, let, then let them, which are in Greenup County, Kentucky... Sodom County, no, Judea, flee to the mountains. So the, Israel has to be in the land. Now, there's going to be a one world order. Of, I don't know if the World Economic Forum is going to be part of the one world order. It could be the beginning of it, some capacity. There's going to be Antichrist, the beast, who's going to rule over everything. He's going to make that treaty. And, and 2415, he breaks the treaty and sacrifices a pig or something on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem and breaks his contract, his treaty with Israel, and there he goes after them. He's going to do that. There's going to be all kinds of things going on. The, the whole purpose of the tribulation time, the 70th week of Daniel, 
The time of Jacob's trouble is for the Jews to come and receive Christ finally as their Messiah. Only about 30, from 30,000 true Christian Jews in Israel. Mr. Womack and I were talking about there, there are some Palestinian Christians. that He met some of them. There are true believers all across the world. But the Jews as a whole do not worship Christ, do not even think he is God. That's why we have the Watsons who are a ministry to the Jews there in the Boston area because they need to hear the gospel too. Well, the, the Jewish people, my wife and I, were, we were downtown Columbus and, and for her special for her birthday, went out to eat. And we were down there by the arena where the Blue Jackets play. And we came out and we heard, we saw policemen on bicycles everywhere, like on the roads. And we heard this shouting and chanting. We turned the corner and down there are, 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 are the people who are against Israel. And they're wanting, they're going to start marching. And so, and they had the policemen on all the corners so it wouldn't get out of control because there was a, a disagreement between this group and other people in the city. And so they're going to be a, a careful. Times, times are getting close, it would seem. The beast number, if, anybody, if, if the unbeliever knows nothing about us about the Bible, is it, oh, 666 is a bad number. Because that's going to be the mark and the number of the beast in some capacity. You say, Pastor, we're, we're on the, you know we've already got a law in America about the digital currency that's most likely going to come. And the way you're going to be able to buy and sell is with a digital currency. I mean, we're just on the cusp of that. I mean, it could happen very, very soon. So it's not beyond our, oh, and we can see, I can I can FaceTime or show you a movie from all across the world. I just saw this morning the Internet's being restored to some of the areas of Gaza now. Across the world, they can see the two witnesses be raised by God. There's going to be 144,000 Jewish witnesses during the tribulation. There's going to be a lot of exciting things happen, but that does not have to happen before the Lord comes back. That's what I'm trying to tell you today. You need to be ready now. Now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. You say, Pastor, I'm just not sure if I'm saved. Then get it settled today. You can know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So there is the promise of His return. Later on, there's going to be the program at His return. But first of all, there's the promise of His return. In 1 Thessalonians, back over there, please, in chapter 4, uh, there was at least a 10 Jewish people there because they had a synagogue. You have to have 10 Jewish people to have a, 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. And so Paul has been there, chapter 17, verse 1. He's been there for three weeks. He teaches them about the rapture. Matter of fact, if you look over at uh, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 5, he reminds them in a kind of way, 2 5 of 2 Thessalonians. Speaking of the day of the Lord, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? He was there three weeks, and he was only gone about three months. And they were already wondering, well, what happens to the believer who dies? Will they miss out on the millennial kingdom? Now, if you're an all-millennialist, you believe there's no there's a spiritual kingdom, and there will never be a millennial kingdom where Christ rules and reigns on earth. You're missing a lot of scripture if you personally if you believe that. Postmillennialist says that Christ comes back after the earth has gotten its has become a lot better. I guess is my, they're the thinking, and when it becomes a lot better, then He just comes back to rule and to reign after the 
millennial, whenever that starts, that's the post-millennialist, pre-millennialist believes that he comes back. Since he's going to rule on earth, he comes back to earth before it starts. So that's the pre-millennialist. I'm a pre-tribulationist too. I believe he comes back for the church before the tribulation. If you read the scripture literally, historically, grammatically, that's how you, that's how you come to that point. So, He's only been gone three months. He's only been there three weeks, and yet he's taught on prophecy. One-third of Scripture is prophetic in nature. So to ignore it, I'll tell you one reason why pastors have ignored it is because we've had so many people go overboard. Well, like Harold Camping, well, the Lord's going to come on this day. It doesn't come. Well, I believe he's going to come here. Well, I believe he's going to come here. Oh, he doesn't come. And that, we can't, This I don't know when he's coming back. He is coming. I don't know he's coming back, though, for the church, but he's coming back for us. He is. Jews looked for 400 years for the Messiah to come. He came to a little place called Bethlehem. So we have the study of future things, eschatology. He's going to come back at any moment. Many conclude that he can return. I remember my dad, my father-in-law, as pastors, they wanted the Lord to come back in their lifetime. I want the Lord to come back in my lifetime, but he may not. He may not. So he didn't want them to be ignorant regarding the things that are going to happen. And by the way, the more we talk about prophecy should not make us irresponsible. It should make us responsible. You're talking to someone just yesterday, talking to a guy, and the Lord said, you know, it's time. You need to ask him. Right? Like the Holy Spirit will say, you know, it's time. Ask him the question. Just start out, you know, get, uh, uh, you need to respond to that. Make us responsible. We know the truth. If I was a doctor, and Jeremy came to me with some, some dreaded thing, and I said, oh, Jeremy, it's not that big decision, and he falls over the next week, goes into eternity, I'm not much of a doctor. I'm not much of a doctor anyway, but I wouldn't be the doctor. Or perhaps you come to me, and, 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 you say, and you've never played a piano a day in your life, and you hit two notes together. I say, good, you've learned everything you need to know. I'm not, I'm not much of a piano teacher either. I'd be not much of a piano teacher then. Here's what you, start with this, start with your scales, start with this, and you've got to practice, you've got to exercise before you play any song. You've got to do all these scales and things to make it work. But I don't want to do those things. Do you want to work, you want to get better or not? So there we are. So we have the truth, do we not, in the person of Christ? We do. So we are to be sharing that. But pastor, doesn't the Bible say that God's going to destroy the earth with fire? Yes. Second Peter chapter 3, 10 and 12. After the millennium's over, after Satan's had his final battle, yes, he's going to renovate this earth. By the way, it's got to be renovated because of the sin, because Hades in the center of it. It's got to be removed. Death and hell cast in the lake of fire. He's got to renovate it so we live on a sinless planet with God. It's going to be an amazing thing. We find then that they knew something of the Lord's return, but not all the truth about the Lord's return. So there's a promise of his return. We see there in chapter 4, verse 13, back to our text, 4.13, we see how he, he grounds our hope in the work of Christ. Chapter 4, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Who are the others, do you think? Unbelievers, exactly. It's everybody else who does not know Christ as personal Savior. So we've got a lot of people 
that we can have opportunity to influence for God. So may the Lord help us as a church to, to share the gospel. To, when time comes and with our friends and the hardest people probably are our family. But to be faithful, to share God's news, what he's done for us. So, and first under this, he grounds, us, grounds our hope in the work of Christ. There's three problems they had, which Christians have today. First of all, they were uninformed. But I will not have you to be ignorant. Gnosis, knowledge, and it has the alpha prefix in front of it. In other words, you don't have knowledge. We call it ignorant. In the hollers in McGoffin County, we called it two syllables, ignorant. You're just plain ignorant. So I was ignorant of a lot of things there in rural McGoffin County back in the 1960s. I learned a lot of new things when I was uh, there. But uh, I, was ign- I, I knew how to blow your nose without using a handkerchief. I've never seen that before. I don't, I don't think I want to see it ever again. But Arthur Kennard, he was, uh, he was the guy who owned our prop anyway. And he taught me, you know, I, I never, had never seen that before. That was a new experience for a little boy of three and a half years old. You just, you just stayed not too close to Mr. Kennard, uh, or be careful. Anyway, I got off track there. But I, he doesn't want them to, it's a present active. So it means simply the activity is ongoing. They were ignorant when, he was, when they read this letter. They were, I don't want you to be ignorant regarding the return of Christ. I don't want you to wonder what's going to happen to your grandma and grandpa who perhaps some of them in the ensuing three months or so, or maybe perhaps more, however long it was, had died. I don't want you to be, I know, by the way, for, I know where mom and dad are. They're with Christ. I remember my parents, my in-laws are there with Christ. Grandma Cheney, Grandpa Cheney, Grandma and Grandpa Wright. I know where they are. They're with, I don't know exactly where it is, but they're with him. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. And 9 and 10, all the way from the beginning. Wonderful passage, 1 to 10. That's, that's where they are. He doesn't want them to wonder about that. So are, are they, are they going to miss out? I'm telling you, they're not missing out right now. They're not missing out. But we're missing out for not being with the Lord. Do you see that right now we're just beholding things through a glass darkly? One day we will be with Christ. That's what we're looking forward to. If you're looking for fishing ponds and lakes that have filled with largemouth and smallmouth bass where every time you throw your line in and that you pull out a world record every time, that's not what heaven's about. Now, I'm hoping they're up there on the new earth. I'm looking somewhere, and I'm, I'm the guardian of that lake. But I, I, I tell you, what I'm looking forward to is Jesus. A lot of Christians don't even know if they want to go. I thought, Pastor, I know I want to go, but I thought you were taking a bus this afternoon. I'm not sure I want to go today. You should be the first one on the bus. I'm ready. Are you ready to go? If you're not, the guy I met yesterday was not, is not, his family's not ready to go. I really pray when he reads the Bible that he will understand. Now, there are four times this word ignorant is used in Scripture. I thought we'd just take just a moment to go with our message title. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 we see an ignorant that we're not to be. Romans 11.25, another book of Paul's, Romans 11.25, says for us here, four uses of ignorant, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, that ye should be wise in your own conceits, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Don't be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. 
And please don't say Israel's been put on the shelf and they're no longer entity, that the church has replaced Israel. We have not replaced Israel. Israel's still of God's chosen people. It says of David's kingdom, it shall stand or last forever. His kingdom. And is not Jesus, what nationality is Jesus? A Jew. So when you say the Jews are no longer an entity, that's not, a, that's not really a wise or logical thing to say. Don't be ignorant regarding what's happening. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, don't be ignorant regarding something else. 1 Corinthians 12, 1, please. If you have your dialing fingers ready there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Spiritual gifts given to the believer by the Spirit. If you're a child of God, you have at least, I believe, one spiritual gift, if not more. Don't be ignorant regarding those things. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Fit right in with Brother Lauderdale's message in Sunday school this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. First, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, 8. 2 Corinthians 1, 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. So don't be ignorant regarding trials. We're going to have them. We're going to have troubles and trials. We'll soon be done with troubles and trials. Yes, we're going to get the glory, but not yet. And then we have our text here. I would not have you be ignorant regarding the rapture of the church when Christ returns. A lot of ignorance. There's a lot of ignorance remains in our world today, even among church people. So they were uninformed. And the second problem, they were grieving as we turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. They were grieving as the way a Christian should not grieve. And thirdly, they lacked hope. Now, how do you replace ignorance? You replace it with truth. So that's why we have preaching, to, to persuade you to read God's Word, to, repl- to, to teach you from God's Word, to remind you what you've learned in the past and have forgotten, and to persuade you, this is, continue to persuade you, this is, this is the best. It's better to be a Christian. It's harder to be a Christian. Amen. Easiest thing is to live for the world and do your own thing. The hardest thing is to walk with God on a day-by-day basis. That's, and we can't do it yourself. You must have Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this Christ liveth in me. And he uses the word brethren here in our text in 4.13, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Now, there's two ways Paul uses that. First of all, descendants of Abraham, the Jewish brethren, or most commonly used for believers, all true believers. We might say it's a generic term like brethren or sister. Not, it's a sister with an S, not with a C. Sister or brothers and sisters who are uninformed, don't be like those, about those who are asleep. It says here, and it's interesting that word asleep, if you'll see it also is in verse 14, which also sleep in Jesus, and verse 15, not prevent, prevent, see them which are asleep. Matter of fact, God uses asleep to describe someone whose body is, is sleeping in death. Now, there could be some who ought to, oh, there we go. Then we believe in, and they teach, the Seventh-day Adventists teach soul sleep. That when you die, that your soul lays in the grave with your body, and then you're waiting for the resurrection. The Bible does not teach that whatsoever. The Bible does not teach that. It says in Acts 7, verse 60, and he kneeled down, said Stephen, and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. 
Do you remember in John eleven eleven These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. But was he sleeping? No, he was dead. Acts 16, 13, 36. And David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. So this is not the, which I so enjoy, which we're going to miss the normal time for the afternoon nap. We go home on Sunday afternoon, and I got to be sleeping by 2.30, because I got to be up by 3.30 and start doing other things. And so there's my little time schedule here. We try to do that and try to keep on that time schedule. But what happens after we sleep, we wake up. And that is the picture of the believer who died. His body goes in the grave. And I'm telling you, sleeping believers, they're going to wake up one day when Christ brings them back with him. And 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Slept. What a wonderful picture this is. The Bible teaches the moment of physical death, the person inside goes to be with the Lord. If they are unsaved, they go to what is called hell or Hades, the real person. I asked, I asked the people on Wednesday night, every, the people, I'll ask you Wednesday night, how, how does it happen? How, how does the, the demonic person get the demon inside? I asked you, how does the Holy Spirit come inside? It's when I ask Him to be my Savior, and I often will come into my heart and life and be my Lord and Savior, forgive me of sin and save my soul. I'm a sinner. We invite him in. Jesus doesn't come in because in his own physical body, he doesn't come inside. It would not be uh, logistically possible. But he does come in in the person of the Spirit. He indwells you. Christian, he indwells you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So your loved one in heaven. Well, pastor, my, my parents up there, are in, they got their brand new body up there and they've just been dancing around and joining. No, they don't have the new body yet. They don't. They don't have it. The Bible says clearly they're going to come back here in 1 Thessalonians with him and they're going to come down and they're going to burst the grace and they're going to get their new bodies. And if you're alive when he comes back, up you go. Twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, eight one hundredths of a second. And it's going to, we're going to be changed and up we go. And off we go to the wild blue yonder or better yet to be with Christ to his place. It's going to be wonderful. Change in a moment. Glorified body. Uh, the, uh, how about what do they look like in heaven now? I think they look like themselves. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that love chapter at the end says, We shall know as we are known. So we're going to know what kind of body is it? I'm not sure. I've never been to heaven and, and died and gone and come back. I've never done that. No, no one else really has either, except for those Christ raised in the Bible. But what did all those who got raised in the Bible still have to do? Die. The first person who died and was resurrected in the eternal body is Jesus. He's the only one so far. Now, because he's the first fruits, one day I will also be raised. And you will as well. To life eternal with Christ. If you know Christ as personal Savior, that's, that's, that's part of who you are. Remember on the Sermon on the Mount? They knew Eli Moses and Elijah. They knew them. They saw them. Will you recognize your loved one in heaven? Yes, if you go before uh, the return of Christ. Luke 23, 43, said to the thief, uh, the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I understand that to be a recognizable person. We find that in Luke chapter 16, the rich man knew Abraham, knew Lazarus. 
So I wonder this morning, are you ready for his return? Are you ready for his return? Are you sorrowing as those who have no hope? I found that just just this morning I was reading and looking for something uh, to tie everything up with, and I thought this was quite a, a good. This is Chrysostom, who was an early church father. He said, he was an orator, he, he deplored the ostentatious public lamentations that were made at Christian funerals in his day. He said, quoting, When I behold the wailings in public places, the groanings over those who have departed this life, the howlings and all the unseemly behavior, I am ashamed before the heathen and the Jews and the heretics who see it, and indeed before all who for this reason laugh us to scorn. He complained that such conduct had the effect of nullifying his teaching on the resurrection and encouraged the heathen to continue in unbelief. He asked what could be more unseemly than for a person who professes to be crucified to the world to tear his hair out and shrink hysterically at the presence of death. Quoting again, those who are really worthy of being lamented are the ones who are still in fear and trembling at the prospect of death and have no faith at all in the resurrection. Then he drove home his point with these words, May God grant that you all depart this life unwailed. When I die, I don't, there's going to be sorrow. But it's, I'm a lot better off. It'll be a memorial service. Because my job will be done and I will be in glory. So, tears of, of happiness, perhaps. But we don't, we don't sorrow those who have no hope. If we believe, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that is the key. Do you believe? A lady went to a, uh, to a person who makes the stones for the headstones for the cemetery and she said i don't want any frills on my headstone nothing like that she says all i want is to my husband and put it in a a a a place that is sufficient or a place that would actually work for him so if you could put that there and so he he made this headstone and when it came in it had not just to my husband but it had to the the place that is sufficient or something like that on it. So it's like, instead of just not to my husband, but to the place that he is supposed to be. And so you can take it either way. Either he's in the place of heaven with God or he is in a place that's not so heartwarming. But the thing is, do you know the Savior? It was a very, uh, it was a very undecorated, infamous director of films who said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Doesn't want to be there. I'll tell you, we're going to be there when we pass in this life. Most important thing, are you ready for the Savior? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your patience with us. Stumbling preacher I am. But Lord, your word is sufficient. Your word is powerful. May it change our lives. If there's any person this morning here in the auditorium that does not know your Savior, you or you're just not sure, or you're sure you're not saved. Lord, may help show them how to get that settled today. The Holy Spirit has prompted them. They've worked in their heart and life. And the gospel message is just that. You died, you were buried, you rose again, according to the Scriptures. And they need to have the only way to, be, to have their sins forgiven, as the song was sung earlier, 
is to trust Christ as Savior. If they've never done that, may they do so. Perhaps we need to be baptized. Perhaps we want to become a part of our church fellowship here after baptism by immersion, and you know what we believe. Whatever may be the need in a heart's life this morning, Lord, may we respond. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.